0: Welcome to Crossroads Church in Rowlett. We're so glad you're here. Join us here for our weekly sermons or visit crossroadsrowlett.org for more information. Maybe when you heard um, that we were going to study Jonah this morning, you were taken to a place mentally. And so was I. I was taken to a small Baptist church in Garland, Texas that I grew up at in Miss Curley's fourth grade Sunday school room with a flannel board. <laughs> some of you that are new to church are like, what are you talking about? Some of you are with me. Um, or um, when we went to children's church, there were puppets. And I was brought to this moment of like when the big whale puppet eats Jonah. Um, I've got some breaking news for you this morning. Um, Jonah is not a kid's story. Similar to Noah's Ark, um, Jonah has been taught in some ways horribly wrong as a children's story because it is, it's a sad story, but it's not a sad story about a non-believer who messed up. It's also not a story of a hero prophet who does it well, but it's the story of a believer, a prophet of God, who runs from God in disobedience Struggles with depression, complaining, and much more. So this morning, I want to challenge you to something different. If you have your handout or your Bible, in your handout, all of chapter 1 is written. I'm going to read chapter 1 in just a moment, and I would love for you to read the Word of God along with me. If you have your Bible, Jonah is placed straight between Obadiah and Micah, if that helps. Um, (laughs) In my Bible, it's page 984. Um, We're going to be in Jonah chapter 1 today. And as we look through it, as I read it, here's what I would challenge you to do. I just want you to underline, highlight, take note of anything that either surprises you or speaks to you this morning, and then we're going to pray that God would give us fresh eyes. In Jonah chapter 1, it says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish, from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose onto the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid and each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and he had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. The captain approached him and said, What are you doing sound asleep? Get up, call to your God, and maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, Let's cast lots, and then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble that we're in. So they cast lots, and the lots singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business and where are you from? What is your country and what people are you from? He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were seized by a great fear and said to them, what have you done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do to us? What should we do to you so that the sea will calm down for us? for the sea was getting worse and worse. And he answered, pick me up and throw me into the sea so that it will calm down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this great storm that is against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with his innocent blood. For you, Lord, Have done just as you please. Then they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men were seized by a great fear of the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Then the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word. God, thank you that it is alive. God, thank you that we have access to it. God, I pray as we read this story, you would give us fresh eyes. As we study this event in a man's life, it would reveal things about our life. God, you would open our hearts. You would open our hearts and our minds um, to places that you are calling us to, to things that you are calling us to, to people you are calling us to, God. And I pray even now as we look at this story of radical disobedience, God, I pray for obedience in this room. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this morning, we are just going to look at the story almost verse by verse. So in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, it says this, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because their evil has come up before me. The very beginning starts, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah, and we were at a conference this week, and one of the speakers talked about this idea, and I thought it was important. Many people, many teenagers that I talk to, many young adults, many not young adults, struggle with this question. How do I hear the voice of God? Because I don't know about you, for me, I have never audibly heard the voice of God, but I know that I've heard God call me to certain places, certain people, and into certain moments. The speaker at the conference this week, she said it this this way, she said, it's almost like a thought was downloaded into my head. And I thought more about that and some research I'd done in the past and books I'd read. There's a book called Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. And she says in her research that 80% of our thoughts every day are negative. Some of you are like, I am crushing the average. <laughs> and then she says this, and this is, the one, this is the part that blows my mind. 80% of my thoughts are negative. And 95% of the thoughts that I have today, I also had yesterday. So I'm going to, this is just a logical statement. If you, if a thought gets downloaded in your head that is positive, kingdom forward, and kingdom moving, maybe it didn't come from you. I'm not saying it works every time. I'm not saying every positive thought is God calling you. I'm just saying if you want to filter, if the, if the thought that you're having is progressing the kingdom forward, and it's in an obedience to the word of God, there's a good chance it might be the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. So Jonah, he's not confused. He hears the word of the Lord, right? It says the word of the Lord came to Jonah. And it says, get up and go to Nineveh. And we have to know things about Nineveh. You see, Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian empire. And I don't know if you know much about the Assyrians. In their cities, they would have many temples to the goddess Ishtar. Ishtar is the goddess of sex, fertility, and warfare. These are violent, disgusting people. Many articles they are referred to as the lords of torture. I don't mean to be graphic, but these are things they would literally do to people, to their enemies. They would impale people through their chests and line them into the gates of the city. They would fillet the backs of alive people's legs and hang them on the city walls to display their brutality. It was a, it was a means of psychological warfare. They actually are the people that invented the crucifixion. They regularly amputated people, blinded people, and burned people alive. See, these people intentionally advertise their brutality to scare people. These people are wicked. And God says, get up and go to Nineveh. And you would think that's the hardest part. But then the second part of the calling is this. Preach grace. Nope. Preach against their wickedness. So Jonah, not only do I want you to travel to Nineveh and go there, when you get there, I need you to tell them that all of what they're doing is wrong. And I just want you to plant yourself in Jonah's shoes for just a moment. Because I think sometimes when we hear Jonah, we're like, oh, that's the guy that ran from God. He's scaredy cat. If God called you today, this is not a political statement, this is just a reality check for you and I. If God called you today to go to Israel and share the gospel with Hamas, what emotions would that put inside of you? No thank you, yes. And that's what you see in this story, is that God calls Jonah to the people that are most against him, the most against his culture, to the most against his life, the most against his family. And God says, go there. Share, share with them that they need to get their life together. And share with them that they are a wicked people. And in verse 2, it says, Jonah got up and left. Got up, fled to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa, found a ship going to Tarshish, and he paid the fare and went down into, into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. And what you're going to see here is not a confused Jonah is an intentionally disobedient Jonah. He made a decision. He's made a decision to run from God. Like I said, he didn't get confused. Nineveh is 550 miles from Jonah by land. That is as if, if you took a trip from here to New Orleans, Tarshish is 2,500 miles from Jonah by boat. He's not confused. That is if you took a trip from here to Juneau, Alaska. (laughs) He's not confused. He knows he's running, but it actually says he's not just running from Nineveh. He's running from the Lord's presence, but I'm going to say Jonah's not dumb. You might disagree with me based on the text. Um, He's not dumb. He's a prophet. He knows he can't run from the Lord's presence. He knows no matter where he goes, God is going to be there. So the question is, what is Jonah actually running from? Jonah is running from the expectation and the call and the word of God in his life. So when we talk about running this morning, we're going to talk about running from a standpoint of this. Are we running from the call of God, the word of God, and the expectations of God on our life? That's what we mean by running because that's where Jonah is. Is running from. See, it says that Jonah in the CSB. It says Jonah found a boat, and it almost reads as if Jonah was just walking along and he's like, "A boat." <laughs> in the original Hebrew, it says Jonah acquired a boat. When I acquire something, I typically pay for it, right? So let me translate, retranslate this for you. Jonah bought a boat. It means it means something different now, right? He didn't just go down and find a boat. Jonah went out and bought a boat and then he says it paid the fare as if it was a cruise ship headed for Tarshish but it's actually in the original language it's the wages of the crew so let's reread this and go Jonah went down to Joppa bought a boat bought a crew hired them, put them on the boat and said let's get the heck out of Dodge and get to Tarshish that's what happens here Just something small here that I noticed is running from God will always cost you something See Jonah Gets down to Joppa. He has to buy a boat. It costs him something. He has to pay the fare. It costs him Something and for you running from God may cost you your time. It may cost you your energy I've sat with sat with many people who it cost them their marriage. It cost them energy It cost them relationships in their life and for some people running from God will cost you everything because there is always a boat in the other direction when God calls. You see, when God calls you, there is always an opportunity because Satan has strategically planted it for you to go the other way. And we have to be careful because sometimes those boats look different. Sometimes those boats look like comfort or complacency or escape or even sin. So this morning, I want to look at some of the dangers of running from God. And danger number one is this, His fear of the calling created distance from God. Did you know this? So I learned this this week. Um, Did you know that we all have seven basic universal emotions, and they are all represented by facial expression? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn just to the person next to you and just look at them. Um, And I'm going to say an emotion, and then I just want you to play it out on your face. And for some of you, when I say the first one, you'll do this the whole time because you don't want to play this game. Um. (laughs) So, the first emotion is this anger. You notice you're all making the same face. Okay, what about this? Disgust. Happiness. That's creepy. I'm just saying. Sadness. Surprise. Yep. (laughs) Contempt or judgment. And this one to me was the most shocking one fear. You see, the reason it was shocking to me is this fear is a basic universal emotion that all people feel. So fear isn't necessarily bad, it's an emotion. See, emotions, the Latin word here literally means to move. They are just indicator lights of our heart that move us into a certain direction. See, fear can actually move us further from God. It can also move us closer to God. Recently, in the last couple of years, it's been interesting because there's been two things that have been pitted against each other that I don't know if it's correct. You've seen this. Faith over fear. I believe fear actually plays a really important part in our faith. We're gonna talk a little bit about it today, but I would just say those two things don't necessarily work against each other. I understand the heart of that saying. What I would say is fear is not all bad. How we treat fear is super important. There's actually healthy fear in our life. If your child runs into the street, fear starts to well up, right? If the camera angle on Fox goes towards the Rangers' bullpen and Araldis Chapman is standing <laughs> ready to pitch for the World Series champion Texas Rangers. <laughs> healthy fear. Sorry, I d- had to be in here today. I'm so happy. Uh, healthy fear. If this afternoon the Cowboys are inside the 20-yard line and Dak Prescott drops back to pass, healthy fear. <laughs> like He's going to throw it to the other team. <laughs> the Bible actually says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So all fear can't be bad. Like, if we, want the, if we want wisdom, it starts with fear. See, the Bible will say, fear not 365 times. Not so that we could present ourselves as, as some, like, fearless people that aren't human, but because God knows we will experience the emotion of feel, fear regularly, and he wants us to run to him. In Isaiah 41, 13, it says, fear not, and I love the next part of this, for I will help you. So if you and I start to feel feelings of fear, what if we started to invite God into that? What if we just went to God and went, God, I'm scared and I need help. And all of a sudden, fear doesn't move us further from God. It actually has pushed us closer to God. And maybe when you think about calling, we're going to talk about what God is calling you to over the next several weeks. And maybe when you think about calling, there are different things that come up for you. Maybe you have a fear of the unknown. You don't know what that life looks like on the other side of calling. Maybe you have a fear of judgment, where you've lived your life in a certain way over the last several years, and you're afraid that people or your family or friends may judge you because they may find out for the first time ever that you're a believer. Maybe you have a fear of change, and I would just say those are okay fears if they don't petrify you, if they don't stop you if they don't stall your movement, but if we actually just went to God and said, God, I'm scared. I'm terrified of what's coming. Could you help me? But when fear makes you run is where it gets dangerous. See, it begins to create distance from God. It creates distance from the heart of God. See, the heart of God is repentance for all people. Everybody say all people. Okay, now say all people like you actually believe repentance is for all people. All people. See, 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. What you see in the story is Jonah doesn't have the heart of God for the people of Nineveh. If he did, he'd be in Nineveh. See, when we, our fear can create distance from the heart of God, and the heart of God is that all people would come to repentance. That's all people. All people we disagree with, all people we don't like, all people. God's heart is that all of them would come to repentance, but fear doesn't just create distance from the heart of God, it creates distance from the people of God. See, Jonah's a prophet. He's been to the temple a couple of times. He has a relationship with God. I'm sure he has a relationship with the people of God, and don't miss this in the story. In Jonah's fear, it has taken him out of the community onto a boat surrounded by non-believers. See, our fear, when we don't bring it to God and it starts to create distance, it creates distance from the heart of God, but also from the people of God. And when that happens, verse 4 happens. But the Lord threw a great wind onto the sea, and such a great storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart it's actually just just like a cool little thing It's free. In the Hebrew there, it actually says that the ship thought it was going to break apart, which I thought was really cool. The boats are thinking now for Jonah. But it kind of leads us to danger number two, and this is a really hard truth for us, is sometimes the Lord sends the storm. You see, storms in life are inevitable. I'll tell you a little story. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, I was sitting up here. At, um, I'd gotten in a conversation with Jason and Ed, and I looked down. It was like 9 o'clock, and I had um, three missed calls from my wife and uh, six text messages. That is not a good situation. Uh, and she was like, the storm is coming. You need to come home. Um, and we live in Saxony, and we were out on the back road. I was out on the back roads driving home, and all of a sudden, the storm came. And there are no lights back there, and I could not see And there were other people that could not see, and we were both operating motor vehicles driving in opposite directions. And I stopped, that's all I knew to do. I just stopped on the side of the road, put my flashers on, and began to pray. Please don't hit me, please don't hit me, Caitlin's gonna kill me, please don't hit me. Uh, (laughs) um, What I realized though, because I did call her, is storms force us to eliminate distractions. I'd like turn the radio down, and then I was like, I can't talk. I Get, get off the phone. I love you. Um, I did say that part. Um, but they also cloud your vision. It's not clear what's going on, and they are ultimately very chaotic. I remember that night driving on the road. I literally said this out loud to myself. I was the only one in the car. I was like, I don't really know if I'm on the road anymore. That's not a good situation. And I would tell you that spiritual storms do the same thing is there actual God actually will send storms to move us from running to focused. But not all storms are sent by the Lord. I do want to say that this morning. Some of them are caused by others. Some of you ex- have experienced radical pain, abuse, and hurt that were caused by other people, and I never want you to believe that God sent that. Some storms are caused by our own actions and our selfish choices, but others that we see in this story are sent by God. You see, God sends a storm to a boat with Jonah on it to get his attention. It reminded me of being um, a teenager in high school, um, and I was a really busy teenager. I was like a water boy for the football team, so I was at the um, games all the time, and um, I was in choir and show choir and all the things that you could do. Um, I was busy every night of the week, and I would remember, I remember certain weekends I would get home And it would be like a bye week or we'd be in off-season, and my mom would say this to me. She goes, you're going to have to stop this week. Yes, ma'am. And she goes, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to do anything. You're just going to sit here, and you're just going to rest. And I didn't understand it at the time. I actually just thought it was her being mean to me. But I realized what was happening. She had to do something dramatic to get my attention, to refocus my direction. And what you see in this story is that God is going to do something dramatic to get Jonah's attention and hopefully refocus his direction. You might go, that seems mean. And I would go, every parent in the room would tell you that's not mean. It's actually because God deeply cares for us. He wants the best for us. He wants us to live on mission with our life, serving him, and he will get our attention because there is a mission to accomplish, Then it says this, says the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel and had stretched out and fallen into a deep sleep. I want to talk about Jonah for a minute, then we're going to get back to the sailors, but it leads us to danger number three is that we can be asleep in the storm. When I was eight years old, we lived in Garland, like I said earlier, in We lived on, um, if you're familiar with Garland, we lived right on Broadway. Like, we lived on the street. Um, And it's a very busy street. It's probably one of the busiest streets in Garland. We lived on a corner house at the entrance of a neighborhood. And I'm giving you all this detail because I promise it matters. Um, When you turned into the neighborhood, there was a median that separated the two lanes. And there was an opportunity that if you turned into the neighborhood, and maybe you turned into the wrong one, you can make a U-turn. You would drive straight past our house and then turn back onto Broadway. Everybody with me? So one night, I was asleep and there was a police chase happening on Broadway. And the car that the police was chasing took a ride into the neighborhood, immediately realized he turned into a neighborhood, I guess, made a U-turn, drove out, turned a ride on Broadway. The police car following him turned right into the neighborhood, made a U-turn, drove straight into our backyard, and came six inches from my bedroom. And I found out the next morning (laughs) I can sleep through anything. (laughs) So I would tell you, if you have a middle-of-the-night problem, don't call me. (laughs) Call Caitlin. Um, But it's a truth about the story, a truth about my life is we, and it's scary. We can be asleep in the storm. Don't miss this. God sent a storm to a boat where the boat thinks it's going to break apart. The sailors are throwing over cargo and they are in trouble. They're professional sailors. They have given up on this joint. And Jonah is in the bottom of the boat taking a nap. And the storm is for Jonah. Means we can be so far outside of the will of God that we can sleep in a storm meant for us. See that Jonah has become numb to the calling and the voice of God, and it wasn't wasn't that long ago, right, where Jonah heard the word of God. Get up, go to Nineveh. And all of a sudden, four verses later, Jonah can't hear the voice of God, even through a storm that's going to break the boat apart. teaches us we can be way too comfortable in our spiritual nap. Comfort has become God, and maybe it feels okay for you. So I just want to ask you a couple of questions, maybe to evaluate whether or not you're in Spiritual sleep. Have you gotten comfortable sitting in church rather than serving in church? Are you okay with owning a bunch of Bibles and reading none of them? Do you feel good about your sin? I mean, it's not that bad after all, right? Does anyone around you know about your faith? Does the brokenness of this world bother you? And is your faith just a list of checkboxes? And maybe you identify in some of those, and I would just tell you that that list is not meant to bring shame this morning. Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul's going to write that there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. You see that today you could actually decide to wake up. Today you could decide to get on mission, and he wants to set you free this morning because, church, we cannot be asleep to the world around us. They desperately need us. And we cannot be disobedient because danger number four is this, is that our disobedience always, 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 always affects other people. Always. And maybe you know this because you think of your life. Some of our greatest pains and some of my greatest pains and challenges have come because of other people's sinful decisions. And I know this, when I said that, you immediately thought about that because that's what I did. Of course our disobedience affects other people. Let me list to you all the people who have made decisions that have affected my life. And then God wrecked me this week and said, hey Wes, can you think about how your disobedience might be affecting the people around you? So we challenge you to think about the same thing, maybe not put it on other people, but begin to think about it for you. See, divorce affects children, gossip affects friends, abandonment affects families, abuse affects victims. Our lives are connected. Our lives are deeply connected. They're more connected than we realize. We learn this through the sailors in the story. This is verse 6 through 16. I'm not going to read it again, but I just want you to see this. It says, each cried out to his own God. Jonah's decision to run from God has now pushed nonbelievers further away from the true God. They immediately ran to something different that is empty. It says they threw the ship's cargo into the sea. And you might go, Wes, that's a really minor detail. That's all their stuff. That's their livelihood. And they throw it into the sea. They're willing to abandon their livelihood, they're abandoning everything because of Jonah's disobedience. This is interesting. They look at Jonah and say, Why don't you call to your God? Now they've gone to the point where the the non-believers are so desperate for something, they're going to suggest to the prophet, hey, dude, maybe it's time to pray. (laughs) Wake up and pray. And then they start talking to the true God. They go, please, Lord, don't let us perish because of this man's life. Don't charge us with innocent blood. Translation, we don't want to kill the prophet of God and the same God that sent this storm. And then they throw Jonah overboard and the storm stops. It says the men were seized by great fear of the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. This is not the point of the message. Don't bring this home. But this is a reality about our God is that our God is so good and so powerful that he can use our disobedience. It's not plan A. That's not the plan. But what you see is in Jonah's disobedience, you have a bunch of non believers go, okay, God, we surrender while the prophet of God is flopping around in the ocean. But I don't want to miss what's happening to Jonah here. I want to be sensitive. Jonah is such a, a, at such a dark place in his running, he is suicidal. He's actually willing to throw in the towel on God's calling for his life in this moment. And the reason is because he's been running so fast from God's call. See, the rates of suicide... Anxiety and depression are higher than ever in our world. But the rates of suicide, anxiety, and depression are also the highest they've ever been in our churches. And I don't want to minimize mental health. I believe it is real, and I believe that there is real help out there for people struggling, but I do want to pose a question. Could the reason these rates are so high be because so many of us are running so fast from God? Could we be challenged to trust in the will and the calling and the word of God again, and could he step in and bring healing in those moments? See, they throw Jonah overboard, and everything I believe in this moment changes for Jonah. Think about this. It's a crazy storm. They throw Jonah overboard, and when Jonah hits the water, everything stops, Which has to be the weirdest thing ever, right? Like everything stops, and Jonah's just like, "What? What's happening? And it's in Jonah's helped surrender that God moves. The storm stops, everything's calm. And I think for Jonah, even in this moment, it has to be somewhat comforting because he's going, oh, God is still here. And in verse 17, it says this. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Danger number five. God's grace will meet you in your disobedience, but sometimes it's messy and it hurts. I'm gonna take this moment just to be a little bit more vulnerable, to be honest, church, than I ever have been about a time when I was on staff here about six years ago. When I was thinking about this, I was like, when have I, have I seen um, God's grace in my life? And there were many moments I could have talked about. But to be honest, there was one about six years ago where I was on staff as a pastor at this church and I was actively running from God and I began to pursue a relationship that I knew was wrong. Sorry. And I knew God hadn't called me to that. And I looked every person in the eye here, and I said, no, I believe it. That's where God wants me to go. That's where God wants me to go. And I made it really, really spiritual. And every night when I got home, I knew I was running. And I was running. And I had, if I can be honest, I had set up plans for another life. I'd set up plans to run from God and just have life all by myself and pursue what I wanted, because I wanted marriage more than I wanted God. And one Friday, I will never forget it. I was laying in my bed, and God sent a slammed door in my face that hurt. And I remember walking in to work the next Monday, and I was crushed, and the staff at the time was Jason and Crystal and Annette, <laughs> and I was broken. We affectionately refer to these days as Sad West now. <laughs> but I realized something now. If those were the hardest days of my life that I have faced. They were the hardest emotional days. They, were the most, they revealed unhealthy emotional connections, and I was wrecked for months. But that slammed door was the grace of God. Because what I didn't know is six months later, I was going to meet the love of my life. And God had a calling on my life for ministry and marriage that I love. But the grace hurt. And for Jonah here, that's what you see. You see the fish in the story often for Jonah, and we think about it, is God's judgment. And it's not God's judgment. Jonah hits the water and God sends a fish, which is an incredible miracle. And he swallows Jonah in this amazing moment of grace because he was ready to die. And God said, I'm not done yet. And he sent the fish of his grace. And Jonah spends time, which we'll talk about next week, in the belly of the fish. And oftentimes in church, when we hear grace, we hear warm blanket. We hear kind words. And sometimes it's a slammed door. And sometimes it's a giant fish. So I want to call us to something this morning a little bit different, because I believe there's people in this room that need freedom. I believe there's people in this room that have been running from God, that are asleep, that are petrified. And I think God wants to set you free this morning. The Word of God is clear, though, that freedom begins with a moment. Freedom begins with confession. So I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes just for a moment of privacy, we're going to have a moment of privacy, and then I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to ask you for a moment of boldness. How many of you right now, not going to ask you to share what it is, but you would just acknowledge that in some way in your life, you're running from God, maybe you're asleep in the boat and you are numb to the call of God on your life, or maybe you're just terrified of where God is sending you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? There's hands all over this room. What we see in Scripture is there's a posture of confession. And that posture is kneeling. And what I would ask you to do is if that's you, I would ask you either to come to the stage or kneel where you are and begin to pray. And we're going to have a moment of confession together. And you can do that right now. It's going to take boldness. I know there were hands all over the room. God wants to move us to this place this morning, church. You can look up. See, the truth is, for every believer in this room, God is calling you to something. And the first step of that is just to confess this. And I want to give you a moment just to pray either where you are or up here, and just begin to pray, God, forgive me. Invite God into that confession. Invite God into that fear. And I believe freedom is going to come this morning for you. So the Bible is clear in that. And as people continue to pray, when you walked in today, there was a postcard on your seat, and it says, you are sent, and on the back of it, it's blank. And over the next several weeks, we would just ask you as a church to ask this question, where is God sending you? Maybe over the next several weeks, you can brainstorm on this card, put it somewhere where you can see it, talk to God about where he's sending you, And that's kind of step one. What I want to challenge us to this morning is to begin step two of that process. See at the back of the room, there are banners that say you are sent. And for all, this is our hope as a church is that over the next four weeks, every believer in this room writes something on those banners. And it's where is God sending you? And maybe he's sending you on ministry to start a ministry. Maybe he's sending you on a forgiveness journey. Maybe he's sending you on a recovery journey. I don't know what it is, but God does, and I believe many of you already know where God wants to call you. So I'm gonna pray, and as we sing this next song, if you already know what God's calling you to, during the song, I'd go to the back and write on that banner where God is sending you. And if I could call you to more boldness, put your name on it for accountability, for belief that God is actually sending you to that place. We can start that this morning, and like I said, you can do that anytime over the next four weeks. And I believe that if every believer in this room begins to get on mission with where God wants them to be in the next 18 months, we're going to be a very different church in 18 months for the kingdom of God. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for your love and your grace for us even when it doesn't make sense. God, I pray for the callings of people in this room. God, that they would honor you with their life. They would step into places that are unknown and full of fear with confident faith and belief that you will meet them there. And in those moments, we could sing the words, it is well with my soul because we are trusting and believing that you will be in that place.